So when you say, why should we teach our children to think like philosophers? That translates into why should we teach them to think about knowledge, reality, and value? And I think any, say, Christian parent would see that Christianity has things to say about those three areas of study, right? So we need to teach our kids how to think about those. Think Squad, it shouldn't come as a surprise that many of the messages we receive today are in conflict. They conflict with one another, like, should I follow my heart, like Disney says, or should I clean my room, like Jordan Peterson says. And it seems that more often than not, they even conflict with the truth, especially when judged against the standard of truth found in the Bible. As Christians, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we are supposed to take every thought captive to obey Christ. But we're steeped in the world and in its thoughts for most of the day, every day. Thinking well, wisely, and biblically takes work. Not everyone needs to go out and get a philosophy or theology degree, but we should all learn to think more like a philosopher. And if this is true for us, it's definitely true for our kids. After all, they're going to be here after we're gone, and they're going to shape the world according to the ideas we helped to instill in them. With that in mind, it's obvious that our work today in helping them to think like philosophers rooted in the Word of God, thinking intellectually, bringing every thought captive to the control of Christ, can go a long way tomorrow. So, how do we help our kids to think like philosophers? In this episode of the Think Podcast, Owen Anderson returns to help us out. Dr. Anderson is Professor of Philosophy and Religious Studies at Arizona State University and the author of a brand new book aimed at teaching high schoolers about the great minds of the past and a few of the not-so-great ones to help them think like philosophers. I always enjoy having Owen on the ThinkPod, and I really think you're going to enjoy this episode as well and find it incredibly helpful. So now, let's get ready to think. My name is Joel Sedeckes. In 2009, I left my job in the business world to teach Bible at a Christian high school in Chicago. Impacted by my students' questions, I set out on a journey that brought me first to seminary to study apologetics and philosophy of religion, and then into pastoral ministry. As a pastor, I saw firsthand the struggle of believers confronted with questions of life that at first seemed impossible to answer, and the powerful confidence that came when they saw how God's Word gives the answers and guidance they needed. I had a dream to spread that message and equip more followers of Jesus, so my family and I joined Crew and launched the Think Institute. Now, I'm on a mission to equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message by applying timeless biblical truths to current cultural challenges. I don't have all the answers, but I'm determined to find them. And through this show, I'm reporting back to you, the Think Squad, what I discover. Welcome to the Think Podcast. Really quickly before we start, learning how to interpret all of life through the lens of God's Word takes a lot of work, more than just one or two podcast episodes a week. If you have an interest in the intersection between the biblical worldview and biblical manhood and current events, as I do, as well as philosophy, theology, and many, many leather-bound books, consider joining our free online community, the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, 
and on Signal. There you can join hundreds of other Christ followers who are also on the same journey, and we trade apologetic stories and strategies, we discuss philosophy and theological questions. It's like a huge bull session around a bonfire in your backyard or at your favorite cigar lounge. So check out the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. All right. Dr. Owen Anderson, welcome back to the ThinkPod, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. I wanted to talk with you about this idea of raising kids to think like philosophers. And this is all in light of this new book that you recently wrote and and published called The Elementary Guide to the Philosophers, Reality, Knowledge, Value. Let's see if this works. It doesn't always work on the camera. Let's see. Yeah, elementary guide to the philosophers. You're, if, you, if you get a copy, it won't have this band. That's that's on there because that's an author copy. Right. But yeah, that's a it's a book. I wrote it for let's say eighth graders and up. Okay. Um, and my thought process was to it's it's elementary, which it says it introduces you to the the fundamental or basic things about knowledge, reality, and value. And I go over twenty five philosophers. I have a little introduction to each of them, but then what I really wanted to do is bring some of those philosophers' writings to the reader. So I have my introduction, and then I have a couple pages of their primary source writing, so that when you read the book, you don't just get some professor telling you about, say, Plato or Aristotle. You get, what did Plato say, or what did Aristotle say? So you leave the book with some familiarity of each of the 25 philosophers. Why do parents even need to think about teaching their kids to to think like philosophers? Why is this even an important subject? And with all the other stuff parents had to be focused on yeah. in this day and age, you know, this seems like Not all things, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but I know that there's a rationale there. Why this book? Well, it's interesting how you asked the question. Uh, why should they think like philosophers? And your institute's the Think Institute, right? So it's kind of like saying, why should we think? What philosophy does, philosophy is a, a discipline in the academy that studies the elementary questions about three, let's say three things, knowledge, reality, and value. So when you say, why should we teach our children to think like philosophers, that translates into why should we teach them to think about knowledge, reality, and value? And I think any, say, Christian parent would see that Christianity has things to say about those three areas of study, right? Right. So we need to teach our kids how to think about those. Now, however, when you say, why should we teach them to think like a philosopher? Someone could hear that as saying, like one of these 25 philosophers. Right. Like, so we should train our kids to be uh, Cartesians. No. In fact, what I do in the book, what, I, what I'm suggesting in my research, it's in a few of my books, is that it's clear that God exists from general revelation. Mm-hmm. And that these philosophers largely didn't get there. So they're like the philosophers that Paul encountered in Athens in Acts 17. Mm -hmm. They need to repent also. So the best, the worldly philosophy, the best the world has to offer comes short. Yeah. That's part of what I'm doing is maybe in a way demythologizing the philosophers, taking them away from an idealistic pedestal. To say, look, these are humans. They came short in knowing what they could have known, and they should repent of that. And we should that, teach our children how to recognize those thought patterns. Yeah, that, that is something that I've really learned from you. I mean, you've got such a strong emphasis 
on general revelation, and there's all this brouhaha, I'm sure you've seen it, about natural theology recently. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from, hold on, let me see if I have it here. Okay, so this book, book. have you seen this? This is The Failure of Natural... I haven't read it, but I've seen a lot of information on it. Yeah, Jeff... debates that you're talking about. uh, Jeffrey D. Johnson's book, The Failure of Natural Theology. And um, he actually sent me that book. He reached out, or I reached out to him, and and we're going, uh, Lord willing, we're going to have a conversation on the ThinkPod about it. But whenever I think about natural theology, general revelation, I think back to our conversation about Job. And you make the... Uh, so for those who are listening and you haven't seen that episode or heard that episode with uh, Dr. Owen Anderson and myself talking about Job, I think it's called the secret philosophical meaning of Job or something like that. Yeah. But definitely go check that out. And, um, you know, I, I one of the things that I appreciate about the way you articulate your thoughts about the philosophers is you say, look, you don't put these philosophers on a pedestal. Oh, and you, you talk about how they missed the mark. Mm-hmm. So why teach kids about these philosophers if all of them miss the mark? They're all groping in the dark. None of them actually come to truth because they don't come to the fear of the Lord. Why choose these philosophers? Why, yeah. why teach kids about them? Well, we want to. This is why I said the age group, basically high school. I'm hoping that you would have this stuff before you come to college, although that's not always true. So, but but to say a kid who has a, is getting a classical education, they should have this stuff in high school. Uh, homeschooling education. They could have this in high school. Although I'd be fine with public school using the book too. Sure. But the idea is that you're going to encounter these philosophies as you go out to the world. So the first time you encounter them shouldn't be as an adult and you're kind of taken off guard. You, you should be like, you should have learned about it as a kid. You say, oh yeah, I know, I know all about that view. That, that was so-and-so. And here's the objections I have to that view. Okay. So that's the idea is that you're, you're, you're acquainting your, your kids with all of the philosophies that have shaped entire civilizations. All right. So, so let me push back on that a little bit here because you've got 25 philosophers and some of them are big names, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Augustine, Kant, Wittgenstein. Um, I think you've got William James in there as well. Um, and also I, I should mention that it's, it's world philosophy. So I have, I think, 13 West Okay. Depending how you break down East and West. Right. And because Augustine is, is from Africa. Right. Uh, and then 12 East. Yeah. So, so, those, so you're going to get the whole world. And, but this is what, this is what uh, I wanted to push back on a little bit because you said, you know, the kids are going to grow up. They're going to get into these ideas. I'm, I'm with you. Look, William James, pragmatism, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's rampant in our society. But Nagarjuna? The Mahayana yeah. Buddhist. Yeah. I mean, I I had um I had a guy uh, last year or the year before on my podcast, uh, Chris Moore. He's a missionary in Japan. He works with Mahayana Buddhists, but I'm never gonna probably yeah. probably never gonna interact with m- much Mahayana Buddhists. You know, is this is Nagarjuna really a guy? If I'm even pronouncing his name, N- yeah, Nagar. How is it? Nagarjuna. Nagarjuna. Yep. We're no, gonna interact with his ideas. Right. So the answer I gave might have been a practical, a pragmatic answer. You could say, Anderson, you're saying we should teach our kids this because they might encounter it right. uh, in the future. So, so you're right. That's a good objection to that kind of pragmatism. Here, here's the other answer. All of God's providence, his rule of history, reveals his glory. Hmm. And in God's providence, these philosophies came up and, and have shaped, like I said, entire civilizations. Hmm. 
we should know about that. Okay. Just for the sake of knowing what's revealed about God. Okay. That's not a pragmatic answer. And we shouldn't teach our kids to just be pragmatic. Like, well, you might one day have, an, have this happen. So here's the solution. We should teach them to have their, their focus on knowing the glory of God. Okay. So Nagarjuna, Maimonides, Al-Ghazali, Mm-hmm. These, these, I mean, s- some of our listeners are going to recognize these names. Even Here's if you an example from Nagarjuna. All right, let me give you an example. Yeah, okay. He would say that reason only leads to contradictions. And so we have to silence our mind of all thought, hmm. which leads us to the highest reality, which is beyond all thought. Wow. Now, that's a very attractive view to, to many people today still. Sure. And you'll have, I, I know your, your brother has had... Uh, discussion with people who say that same thing, that reason, the laws of thought are contradictory. It's called dialetheism, which says the law of non-contradiction is not true. Yeah, And it's developed by a current logician who looks to Nagarjuna as his example. Okay. So the history of thought comes into play. A lot of people don't know that. And they think this, this logician has just discovered some brand new thing. Right. And they say, no, this has been around for a couple thousand years. And it's, it's a rejection of reason. Really, here's what I suggest. It's a rejection of the logos. Hmm. Uh, talk talk about reject- that. What do you mean by that? Well, the logos is the light of our mind. John 1, 4. And this is saying the light of our mind only ever leads to contradictions. And we should silence all thought, including thinking about God or God's creation. And the silence of all thought is the highest reality. So I think that's where, that's interesting to know. What are the different ways... That pe- all the different ways that people try to get around saying it's clear God exists. Wow, that fascinates me. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I was having a conversation with, um, I'm teaching a biblical worldview course right now, and we have a Q and A time after the lecture, and someone asked, you know, these guys are are fairly very well read already, and someone was asking, you know, how do atheists ground logic? And the, the answer is they will oftentimes, at least in my experience, they will bend over backwards to try and justify logic without God. But if they can't, they're, they'll just say that's the, just the way the world is. Yeah. The one thing that they will not do is grant the existence of God. It's like what you were saying. It's just different ways of, of yeah. trying to well, say right. God, no, it's not in, obvious. In my experience, a lot of times they're pragmatists on that point. They'll say, well, it's what works for us. Right, right. I think- you were recently in, on a debate with this uh, guy, Tom Jump, mm-hmm. and I shared with you that he'd, he'd asked me on also, but I wanted to kind of get to normal a little bit. First, we were messaging. Yeah. And for all, I mean, as, a, as an unbeliever, an atheist, I think he makes a lot of big claims about the human mind. Mm-hmm. But in our interactions, he said, yeah, reason's just an invention of humans. Right. And I said, well, then there's no common ground for us to have a debate. I mean, Reason is that by which we debate or know anything. Mm-hmm. It's not invented by humans. So that's a good example where they'll end up using using pragmatism and just say, well, it's just what works for now. Yeah. And so so when we're talking about these different philosophers, you're going to see this pattern crop up a lot, aren't you? The, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, these false ideas taken on. Ultimately, do you think, I mean, is is the history of philosophy just one long No, there's some, I mean, there's some effort to deny God? There, there's some good philosophers in there. So it's not just 25. All of them are mixed in one level because here's the thing. They're all humans. Right, right. And at one level, you can't turn out the lights. You still have mm. your mind working like like Nagarjuna or, or any other skeptic, Wittgenstein, is going to give you this big philosophy and tell you to think all about it. 
even if the philosophy is go beyond all thought. Right. So I'm fascinated. It's, it's, it's interesting to get into the lives of humans and see how they did that. I think that's why I love what the Apostle Paul did in Acts 17 in Athens with the philosophers. Because here they are, the city of wisdom, Athens itself, mm-hmm. is supposed to teach the whole world about wisdom. Right. And they have this God, this idol, to an unknown God. Mm-hmm. And then Paul says that God is the one who made all things. In other words, that God is the one who's knowable by creation, yeah. which they have access to. So now their idol becomes a self-indictment. It's right. a confession that they didn't know what they should have from creation. Right. And they're guilty. And so because of that, Paul then gets into redemption through Christ, which is where some of them laugh and some of them I'll want to hear more later. Yeah. And but, some believed. Yeah. But that's what you see. Well, let's go back to that debate you were mentioning about natural theology. Mm-hmm. As I observe it, I'm afraid that it falls into a false dichotomy. So on the one hand, you'll have people say, natural theology is really important. We're given a mind to understand. But then as you look at it more, what they mean by that is Aquinas and especially Aristotle. Hmm. And so then you'll have the other side. I think the author of your book, um, Johnson, mm-hmm. is writing from this other side. And he'll say, Aristotle doesn't get us anywhere near God. You've got to start with the Bible. And so I think that's a false dichotomy because there's a third option, which is what Aristotle did isn't natural theology. Aristotle put something else in the place of God called the unmoved mover, the the first cause. That's not getting us to God, the eternal power and divine nature of God. And Aristotle is culpable for that, not because the Bible, but because of reason and general revelation. He should have known better. Right. So... I would I would also bristle if natural theology just means Aristotle. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that's what Christians mean. They'll yeah. say, yeah, first cause, that's a great argument. Or Plato's allegory of the cave leading us up to the sun, that's a great argument. And they don't realize, no, these are things being put in the place of God. Right. You, you should be able to show the entire nature of God from general revelation. Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating thing. So is that one of the goals of this book is – to teach students, you know, eighth through twelfth graders, um, the idea that God's existence or the reality of God is yeah. obvious. It's kind of like preparing the way for that. Are, so, this is the goal to learn from the mistakes of these philosophers. In this one, maybe, yeah. You know, there's some, there's like I said, there's some arguments in there that are quite good as well. Yeah. So it's not all negative stuff, but the right. worry is that. Um, Worldly, we're warned in, in Colossians and First Corinthians about worldly philosophy, not about philosophy simpliciter, hmm. but about worldly philosophy. And worldly philosophy tells us it could even use the word God. It could say reason leads to God. Yeah. Aristotle talks about the best life is a life like God. Right. And if we're naive and simple, we'll say, "Oh, great, this is wonderful." Well, you need to look and see what the meaning of the word is. God, as described there, is not the God of creation, hmm. which you can know. So that, this is why I have a, a second book, kind of a, a book that goes with it. That's that? what I just came out that you're kind of teasing me about doing a lot of books. Uh-huh. The Beginning of Philosophy. Yes. And the subtitle is Gender Revelation and the Wisdom Literature. So what I do, my description of the book starts off with this. It says, philosophy doesn't begin in scripture, but scripture tells us where philosophy begins. Yeah. So scripture assumes we've been doing philosophy or we haven't been doing philosophy and we're guilty and need redemption. But you'll have, especially in the wisdom literature, not not only there, you'll have it telling us if we loved 
wisdom than what? Well, we what, we would avoid evil, or we would fear God, or God, right? Yeah, fearing yeah. God is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, and philosophy, the word just means loving wisdom. Right. So I look at Psalms, Proverbs, and the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. To show how these things, although they're in Scripture, they're actually telling us truths from general revelation. Go to the ant, you sluggard. What? Go, go to the ant, you sluggard. Yeah, that'd be an example of a, of a proverb, right? But, but even, even all of the uh, Beatitudes is what I especially look at. Oh, okay. And how they Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I guess I missed that. You're, you're talking about- I did about... say Psalms and Proverbs, but also the Sermon on the Mount. Got it, got it. Especially okay. Beatitudes. Yeah. So I look at that as an example of doing philosophy. So a lot of times people will say you can't use the Bible in philosophy. I know the Vantillian will say, you have to start with the Bible, but but mm. people will view like the Bible is a religious book, and so you can't use it in philosophy. So for the sake of discussion, let me say, why not just approach the Bible like you would, say, Plato's Republic? Approach it as a book and see what it says mm. about philosophy, the beginning of philosophy, about what's eternal, about what's good. And I think it'll turn out that these are the things that are true. Now, I'm yeah, not but- it's not inspired or it's not... Uh, divine have divine origin just saying even if you took that standard right you end up with these truths uh yes but okay but the vantillion in me wants to say yes but the very concept of truth presupposes the truth of scripture anyway because well, it says about, certain things we, about the world the mind if, the laws yeah but what if we what if we rephrase it slightly the very concept of truth presupposes the word of god okay M- meaning scripture general is the word of god written yes okay but there's also the eternal logos which who is, is Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Which is in John 1 4, the logos is the life, which is the light of man. Is that by which we even think? Well, yeah, that presupposes is that. fascinating to me. Yeah. The the idea, well, and then he was in the world, but the world did not know him. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, then, yeah, that's, I think, uh, talking about general relation, verse 10, John 1 10. He made the world, and although the world was made by him, the world did not know him. I mean, think about yeah. the main suffix of things you study at the academy. Is logos, mm-hmm. logi, right? biology, Geologo, theology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they study it, and they don't even know its author. Right. So yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Right. And it goes to he came to his own, which I think mm-hmm. is scripture, and then it says they rejected him also, and then he became incarnate, full of grace and truth. Yeah, yeah. And we, I think and that's right. I mean, I'd be okay saying grace. all truth presupposes the logos. Yes. Uh, well, sure. And then, but the, the logos is not going to contradict the word inscripturated. Um, that's man, that's, that's an interesting idea when it comes to rubber meets the road stuff, brass tacks. So when dads are thinking about how to teach their kids, okay, I want, I want my kids to, to learn about reality about knowledge, mm-hmm. about value, you know, right and wrong. I want them to love wisdom. I want them to fear the Lord. So I want them to think like philosophers, but I, I don't want to raise the next um, Buddha. You know, I don't want to raise the next Aristotle because yeah. without the fear of the Lord, you know, these guys didn't get anywhere. Well, Nietzsche, what, what, what had Nietzsche you know? in there, and his yeah, I saw that a Lutheran minister. Yeah. So what? I mean, what do what do parents and especially fathers need to know mm-hmm. about raising their kids to be? Maybe we should say God fearing philosophers. Like, what's yeah. the most important thing they need to know? Well, they themselves have to know it is indeed clear that God exists and find their, their greatest joy, their chief end, in knowing God. Okay. 
which is eternal life, right? John 17, 3. Right. So if a father does that, it'll just come naturally in talking with your kids. But Can if a father himself is finding joy in something different, you know, the, the football game, the barbecue, mm -hmm. kids notice where your parents find their joy. Right? Yeah, that's right. But if a parent really says, look, I just want to know everything I can about God. It fat God fascinates me, and this is my chief end, then this would come very naturally. So, okay, so... Also, let me suggest this about education, because I mentioned, like, classical education, homeschooling, public. Whatever path a, a parent takes for education, because there's different kids that have different unique needs. Yeah. I think we could say our, our end goal is we want them to be able to reason things out for themselves, to think yeah. for themselves, your institute, mm -hmm. the thinking, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if they just grow up and they can just repeat back to you what you said, that's like maybe a 10-year-old. That's not an adult. That's that's you, catechism. That's yeah, real learning. It's great. You got to start there. I love the catechism. But yeah. when they're 18 and you say, what is God? Yeah. You want them to be able to show, yeah, only God's eternal. And here's how we know that. So when someone comes along and says, no, Matter has always existed. They're wrong. No, that can't be true. Matter's changing, and what's changing can't exist from eternity. So I think that's our goal. And if fathers have that as their goal for their kids, I want you to become a thinker, mm -hmm. reasoning for yourself. They're going to have to go through these different philosophies. Okay, so that that really brings us into focus. Then, so a book like this can can help build on that foundation of, uh, you know, the kids have been catechized, let's say when they went through elementary school, you know, they've gotten basic worldview training. Now it's like, okay, let's see how the rest of the world has answered these questions, how they've attempted to feel their way towards God. You know, Paul describes them as like, like groping around in a dark room, not that God is far from us, but yeah. our minds are dark and our hearts are dark. Yeah. Okay. That's, I'm glad you brought that out because there's two possibilities. One possibility is it's really hard to understand, like, Creation just gives us a shadow of God, mm -hmm. and that's blaming creation. The other option is creation's blazing in our face, the glory of God, mm. and I'm not looking. That's accepting <laughs> my fault. Right. And even among natural theologians, I'll find people who praise natural theology, but they'll say it only gives us a shadow. And, and no, you're not accepting personal responsibility then. The sun in Psalm 19 is blazing down on the whole world, declaring the glory of God. Yeah. It's not the creation's fault that you didn't see it. Right. But so, yeah, I think the, 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 the interested parent, I guess that would have to be the thing is they'd have to be interested. Sometimes when we read another philosopher that we're not familiar with, we might just dismiss it as nonsense because we're not familiar with it. But what that reveals is I may not know what I think I know. How so? Well, I, I claim to believe God exists, but when someone challenges that, I, I don't have an adequate answer. I don't have a sound mm. argument. So maybe I'm the one that's wrong and the other guy's right. Mm. So what we'd want is our is that dad's parents love knowledge for themselves. Yeah. Oh, so we're talking about 8th through 12th graders here. It's some... Well, it's what you just said, too. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. you said you're coming is after the catechizing stage, which is sometimes right. called the grammar stage. Well, and this, this, is, this, this is, is sometimes called the dialectic stage. Okay, so we're talking so this is this is dialectic or logic. We're not we're not into the rhetoric stage here. Right. This is so you, you kind of introduce the idea that this is the debate stage. Yeah. So now the kids kind of want to debate and and uh, argue about different things. Okay, so this is the rhetoric stage then. Well, it'll blend together because they need to learn the logic and debating methods. Okay. By having 
another view to debate. Okay. And then that allows them to do the final thing I was mentioning, reason it out for themselves. All right. All right. So what is, what is the time commitment look like for dads who want to take their kids on a world tour of philosophy to investigate the ideas and to see their relevance for, for today's world. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about this, you know, my kids right now and their elementary age, uh, they are in dance, karate, gymnastics, uh, trail life. Um, and then of course we've got church and we homeschool. So we've got time. You say karate. I did say karate. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know, man, the, the, uh, the animosity of BJJ, I tease, I tease. <laughs> I, well, I know you do, but when I mentioned at the uh, at the UFC gym, I'm like, yeah, I think we're gonna. Now they don't teach karate there, but I'm like, I think we're gonna put our our son in a um, karate dojo. They're like, oh no, no, yeah. it's it's old school, it's <laughs> too outdated. It's like I I know, but that's part of the the appeal that we want that for our, we want the yep. the yep. tradition and the, you know you bow in and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. But but okay, so what does the time commitment look like for? Four dads. I mean, are we talking five minutes a day? Is this an hour a day? Because catechizing that's, can take can be time consuming. That's how. That's why I broke it down the way I did. It's actually kind of, of open. It, it, mm. Like I have, I know I have a friend who is a principal of a school, and his son goes to the school, so they drive thirty minutes each way, and he uses that time to go over these kinds of questions with his kid. Okay, and it's broken down into bite sized pieces, so you could easily say, "Hey, today, uh, last night I told you to read." the selection on Plato. Now we're going to talk about it. And it could be like that, where it's just kind of catching it. Oh, that's cool. But it could also be that you say, you know what, this fall, we're going to go, we're going to spend 30 minutes, three times a week and go over these philosophers as a kind of a high school class. Yeah. So it's really, I think there's, there's, it basically can fit into the parent's schedule depending on what they want. Okay. Okay. You could also even have it self-guided. You could tell a student, Read the selection on Plato, and then I want you to write a one-page rewording of what he says. Yeah. Okay. So it's flexible and adaptable, it sounds like. Yeah, that was the idea. And then the other one I just showed, the book on the beginning of philosophy, that's a little more advanced wording. That might be good for the parent to give them a good foundation Hmm. about how the scriptures affirm philosophy they speak about the worldly philosophy, foolishness, mm-hmm. but they affirm that we can and should know God from creation. Okay. So that's a good one for the, because that's what, that relates back to what I said about the parents loving it themselves. Right. And I think if they see that it's so it's in the Psalms, almost every other Psalm, the Proverbs teach us this, the Sermon on the Mount teaches us this. I think if they see it structured into the nature of the scriptures, They'll say, "Yeah, that makes sense." And I think what you what you're doing in your uh, apologetics curriculum, I mean, take a look at what I did about the Sermon on the Mount, because that's what it's about: is how Jesus reasons through. Where, where does he get these from? I mean, first, so some people will say that this is the new Christian teaching, but each of these things is already in the Psalms. Hmm. And then I, I think it's already there in General Revelation, also. Okay, you know, you you I, more than anybody. I've known you put so much stock in general revelation and uh, just on a personal note that has inspired me to think more about this because, you know, one of, one of the arguments that I am maybe working on just mentally trying to piece together is the idea that when Romans one says God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen since creation being revealed in the things that have been made, you know, God's nature is not, He's not uh, a monad. He's not. He's not a Unitarian, you know, um, 
uh, singularity. He's triune. And so if that's God's nature, then God's nature must be revealed in general revelation. So I've been thinking a lot about the laws of logic or, or the laws of thought, if you prefer, and how, you know, what kind of God, what, what kind of ultimate necessary creator being would be necessary in order to ground the laws of logic? Mm-hmm. So it's, it sparked a lot of, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of, a lot of thought in my own work, which is, yeah, uh, so. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, that, that's the idea is I, I, part of it is that the reason to emphasize this is it reveals the glory of God and we should want to know God and always that he's revealed, not limit that because the works of God are that by which we know God. So that's why I said the Psalms teach us this. You'll, you'll find the Psalmist Psalm 104. We're directing our minds back to the works of God and the creation of God. Mm -hmm. So we want to have that as well. But also then apologetically, it's important because we're not just abandoning a huge area of human life hmm. and saying, okay, yeah, none of that stuff's religion. Religion's this other tiny part of life. Right. Well, that's not a good plan at all. So for for dads who are well, let's say this. Let's say that we've got some guys watching or listening who are not believers. They're not Christians. Now, yeah. my first advice to them would be. Um, you know, how are you going to deal with your sin? You you need Jesus to forgive your sin, repent and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again. And he's Lord trust in him for salvation. But let's say we've got people who are not believers. Is a book like yours going to add value to their education of their kids? Do you, do you see this book having applicability outside of the church or is it primarily for believers? Both of these, both of these that we talk about today would be would be generally good for a general audience. They're but they're available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. They're not geared only for say a Christian audience. Okay. Um, because he, that's part of what I say in the in the book where I look at the the wisdom literature. What I say is, yeah, if you're interested, you've studied Plato, you studied Buddha, you should also study this, right? Mm-hmm. What does the scripture say about this? Also, so right. even if you you don't you say, oh, that's not the word of God. There isn't even a God to have a word. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's one of the great books of the world. Yeah. Uh, it would be weird for you to ignore that book, but <laughs> the other ones, right? right? So you should at least look into that book too and see what it says. And then for someone who says, "Yeah, I'm not a Christian. I don't even believe in believe in God," well, they'll probably find their their beliefs in the Elementary Guide to the Philosophers. One, they'll resonate with one of those philosophers. Yeah, interesting. And and they might. Uh, I mean, my thinking is. In in reading, you know, let's say that they subscribed to the thinking of, you know, uh, is it is it Maimonides? Am I pronouncing that yeah, right? Maimonides, yep. Maimonides. You know, let's say that they love Maimonides. Well, they're going to see Maimonides uh, tackled and approached from a more biblical perspective, a Christian yeah. perspective. That's what's and, interesting. We were mentioning earlier the, the natural theology, the shortcoming of natural theology. Yeah. He's the Jewish Thomas Aquinas. Or mm. it's the reverse because Maimonides comes first. Comes Thomas first. Aquinas is the Christian Maimonides. Mm. They basically are using Aristotle to to shape their understanding of their religion. So there you go. Um, well, okay. So super interesting. And um, where can we where can we get this book? It's it's on Amazon. Both these yeah, books are on, on Amazon? Amazon right now. Okay. You know, I was looking at your website, drowenanderson.com, yeah. Correct. Yep. And. I didn't see yeah. the elementary yeah, guide to the philosophers on there. I don't have that updated yet. I have my other books. Some okay. of my other books are what I might, I should explain that they're called academic books, which means 
they're from publishers that like Cambridge University Press that charge hundred dollars for a book. Oh, okay. So I went a different route in publishing these um, in order to make them more easily accessible. Sure. Okay. You know, the other books are great too, but I also know people yeah. aren't, don't want to flunk down a hundred bucks for a book. Right. 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 Um, okay. Well, good. I well, mention too, though, my webpage is great, but I know people don't really use web pages much these days. I do a lot more activity on my YouTube page, Dr. Owen oh, Anderson yeah. on YouTube. And I usually have two or three lectures going up a week. Yeah. Are you still doing clickbait titles? I, uh, some, some I am. Some <laughs> not. I did one today though about Dave. I said, uh, David Hume's sinister reason for rejecting God. Oh, that's good. I'm like, ooh, what's his sinister reason? I don't know that. <laughs> I love it, man. The clickbait. It's it's I know you're doing it tongue in cheek, but I'm I I'd be surprised if it doesn't lead to more views because it, does. it, it works. Yeah. It is yeah. fun. It's kind of just my sense of humor too, so it's kind of fun. Totally, totally. It's good. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, isn't it funny I'm using clickbait titles? But they actually do kind of work. Them, yeah. <laughs> I, was tell, I was telling my dad about them. He doesn't go on YouTube at all. So I was just telling him, hey, look at this. I think my title is something like, uh, uh, like you know, Van Hill discovered this about theology. Oh, yeah. And I told my dad that. And he said, what did he discover? Like, see, it, it worked, Dad. Mm. You, you click on that because you want to know what he discovered. Totally. Totally. Oh, that's great. All right, cool. So uh, definitely go check out the website, drowenanderson.com. And... Uh, you know, I, I brought him on to talk about one book, The Elementary Guide to the Philosophers, but he's got so many books, he snuck a little another one in there. So so tell us the name of the, the second book again. Yeah, that's The Beginning of Philosophy. The Beginning of Philosophy, and that General is- General Revelation and the Wisdom Literature. Yeah, and that one really fascinates me. I mean, that one, I um maybe maybe we could have a more in-depth conversation about that. If you'd be willing to send me a copy, I, I would- Okay, I would I would love to um to talk with you more about that because man, this is an idea that uh without going off on a huge rabbit trail right now, this idea that the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Philosophy is supposed to be the love of wisdom. Yeah. Without the fear of the Lord, you you literally you don't have the the, the starting block for started. wisdom. And crazy. And that's that's available to all in general relation. So the Athenian philosophers can't say, "I didn't know." I didn't know. Not enough evidence. Yeah. Bertrand was it Bertrand Russell? Yep. If I stand before God, you know, I'll just tell him I didn't have enough Not evidence. evidence. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's what I said earlier. There's two things to blame. You either blame the evidence, you blame general revelation, mm -hmm. or you accept it yourself and you repent, which is yeah. what Job had to do. Yeah, yeah. And the longer I'm a Christian, the better I understand God's word. And the more I see God revealing himself in the world, the more I realize, uh, who is it? Agur, son of Jacob in uh, Proverbs, who says, I'm more foolish than any man. I don't have even, uh, even the, you know, the, I, I don't understand the first thing about the world. Basically, yeah. I feel, I feel that more and more, the more I, I study God's word in God's world, I realize, oh man, I, you know, all this stuff was staring me in the face yeah. and it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, but it's not because the evidence isn't there. The proof right. isn't there. It's there. Well, that's why you begin to relate more and more when Job uses pretty strong language. He says, now I see you and I abhor myself and yeah. I repent. Mm. You have to have all three of those. I see you. I abhor yeah. myself for not having seen you. And you can't stop there. I repent. In dust and ashes. Yep. Yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, any final words for fathers as, you know, they've been listening to this. They're like, okay, I want to get the book. I, or maybe both books. Um, I want to start taking time throughout the day to start educating my eighth, ninth, or 10th grader in 
philosophy, the history of philosophy, but all to help them understand God's world better and to love God more. What what final words, Owen, do you give to that dad as he's he's realizing this task is in front of him? It might seem daunting. It might seem like uncharted, unfamiliar territory. What word of encouragement or knowledge or wisdom can yeah. you offer? Well, you'll just just that love God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. If you do that, if you find your joy in it, it won't seem daunting. It will seem wonderful because you realize I can I can do this forever. It'll never, I'll never run out of things to know about God. And as your kids see that you love God and you see God, that's what they'll want to do also. So even small beginnings end up in great things. That's great. All right, Dr. Owen Anderson, thank you so much for coming on yet again. And um, always, always a pleasure and definitely look forward to uh, our next conversation, which I'm sure won't be before too long. Um, Thank you very much. And uh, we'll talk next time. All right. Yeah, thanks again. See okay, you soon. Thank you, brother. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedecase. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute/partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. 